Well, hello. I know it's been, well, over a year probably since I did the last episode, but I am back, kind of. Well, here's the thing. This is going to be one of the last few episodes of The Drinkable Glow, but it is not going to be one of the last episodes of my podcast. I am retooling the podcast. It's going to still be about drinking. Don't worry about that. But it's going to have other themes beyond travel because right now, nobody's really traveling. We've been in the middle of a pandemic for, what, seven months now. And uh, some of us travel a little bit, but uh, I don't really want to talk about travel when we're not even allowed out of the country. But fear not, it's still going to be the same sort of fun kind of conversations that we've had. It's just going to be under a different name and a couple of different topics. Uh, I actually had a couple in the bank that I never got to post, and this is by far uh, my favorite. This was the second conversation I had with Kate Bernat. She was the only returning guest I've had so far, and we had this chat a little over a year ago, actually, in Montana, in Great Falls, Montana. She lives in Missoula, but we're both from New Jersey. Uh, so, of course, the conversation went a lot to New Jersey. We talked a lot about pizza, and we talked a lot about BYO restaurants. It was a really fun conversation, uh, and it's quite evergreen tea. Uh, evergreen tea. It is quite evergreen too. So don't worry that this was over a year ago. It is not dated in the least. So I'll have a little more details on what the new format's going to be soon. But until then. Enjoy this episode of the Drinkable Globe podcast. Also, uh, the holidays are coming, so buy any of my books. Uh, Drink Like a Geek is the most recent one. It came out about a year ago, and it's so far doing actually pretty well compared to some of my other titles. So I, I think it's a really fun read. You should get it. Buy it for the geek in your life. Also, I've got Sakopedia, Beer FAQ, The Drinkable Globe, and The Year of Drinking Adventurously for all your holiday booze book buying needs. And now here we are with conversation number two with Kate Bernat. Why, that is a book there though, the Sicilian just doing something on Sicilian pizza. Well, Peter Reinhardt just wrote his book it's primarily like Detroit pan pizza, but there's a lot of recipes in it for Sicilian pizza as well. It's a book about just recipes for like pan pizza in general. So Sicilian is in there, grandma pies. There's just recipes for straight like focaccia bread. Has um, anybody done a book on sort of regional pizzas? Like just not just one single region, yeah. but like comparing New Jersey to Detroit to New Haven to Chicago to wherever because most places I go the pizza sucks but yeah. you know down where I am now it really sucks yeah. and I don't like especially in, in the DC area how they define a large pizza oh. air quotes sorry I'm <laughs> you can't see Jeff's uh, very serious air quotes they define a large pizza as 14 inches and I'm like no it's no. 16 it should be the 18. size of a table basically when I was at Maruka's a couple weeks ago at the boardwalk it was like we ordered the fucking 24 incher and I'm like yes now that's well that's that's what they call the extra large but 
their large was 18 inches, which is still larger than I a 16 inches. I think a large pizza should be embarrassing. Yeah. A large pizza should come to your table and everyone's like, oh, we yeah. didn't. You need to be able to wrap that slice around your head. Yeah, fold it over. Yeah. Conquer it like a meal. Maybe take some breaks in the middle of that slice. Mm. Have a breather. Yeah, it should. It's just an investment. It's not a. It's not just a spur of the moment. I have a friend of a friend from the Tribune, my Tribune days, who married into a pizza family. They own a couple independent pizzerias in the suburbs of Chicago. And the piece that she's writing for us is basically, how does the cost of your pizza break down? Why does your pizza cost X amount of dollars from an independent chain versus from Papa John's, from Domino's? Yeah. Why, why is that large pizza $16? And where does that go? And why does it, what profit are they making? How does it, how does that actually matter? So uh, I was lucky that my friend Jess agreed to write that for us, and I'm very, I've seen the first draft, and I'm very excited about it. Oh, that's it. Yeah, it's like, here's exactly how much cheese costs. Here's what bulk mozzarella costs on the commodity market. Here's what we pay for it. Here's how much the boxes cost. Here's what rent costs, delivery, you know, and then here's what our profit is at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Because there is a huge difference between spending $17 on an independent pizzeria pie versus a $10 pie from somewhere, you know, from a chain. And they have like an app and... Well, yeah, well, that's it because yeah. they're, they're the ones, they're buying, it's it's bulk. I mean, they're probably yeah. buying for the whole chain. They have their, their cheese deals and then... And then there's the logistics of it. You know, they, you know, Domino's big thing was like, oh, we got to get there in 30 yeah. minutes or, I don't know, do they still do that, the 30 minutes or less thing, or is that? I think, I mean, their pizza tracker is very advanced. Like, they've continually been improving that app mm -hmm. where you're supposed to be able to know when it's on its way. And it's almost like an Uber. Like, you can watch it on a live map. Like, where is my driver? Well, they, they're, I mean, they're essentially like a logistics company, like UPS right. or Amazon at this point. Like, Amazon's not a bookseller. They're a logistics no. company. And so you're not expecting the best quality mozzarella mm -hmm. from Domino's, but that's what I think Jess's story will argue is, you know, hey, I know this costs $6 more, but here's why that breaks yeah. down. So it'll be, I haven't seen the final draft of it, but I'm very excited by that story because the difference between a $10 pie and a $16 pie sounds like a lot, but hey, if it's that much better, I wanna know why. You know, it's, it's funny because um, one of the, pretty much my favorite pizza place when I was growing up was Brother Bruno's and Wayne. Um, they were pretty much right on the border of Halden where I grew up yeah. and um, and they, they're still around but I was there a few years ago and they were about to move across the street they always had this sort of cool building that looked like a UFO and they were there for like 36 years and um, I always assumed they owned it but they didn't it was like their their landlord wanted to lease it to somebody who was gonna pay more 
So they ended up moving to like basically like a strip mall across the street, and um, they're still making great pizzas. But now, you know, I follow them on Facebook. Now their big thing is they're trying to franchise, and like they're trying. They hashtag this thing. Their whole thing is hashtag cheat meal headquarters. Like this is where you go for your cheat meal. Uh. And it's like, yeah, well, no, that's like. That's not so much a cheap meal as it's gonna like totally derail any, any yeah, diet you want. Right, but I mean, I think the pizzeria we always grew up ordering from was Choppy's. Uh, I think I've seen you post pictures from there. Isn't yeah. that like a tradition of you when you go home for Christmas? Don't yeah, you post pictures of that? Yeah, for sure. We go, and they're a pizzeria, but they're also like a dine-in, like red sauce mm. Italian place. Yeah, those are those places are yeah. totally my jam. I mean, I just love those Italian-American, you know, when they do it well, they do it so fucking well. And it's, and it's, I mean, I still love the takeout pizza from there. Like, I would always order from there versus any kind of a chain, but, um, but also the experience of, like, going to eat that red sauce dinner is really fun because, uh, like, for my dad and I, if we go, the two of us, you it doesn't cost very much and you sit there for three hours. I mean, minimum, right? Because you sit down, there's bread, then you're gonna get salad, then of course you're gonna get an appetizer. Like yeah. we always get like some fried calamar, some antipast. Oh my god, you're gonna do you're gonna do the appetizer. And then it's like, okay, after the appetizer, maybe you're thinking about ordering. We'll probably bring you more bread. Then you're ordering pasta, which always comes with like some kind of a side thing. Like it's a three hour ordeal. And that's what's amazing is you don't actually spend very much money, but you get this whole yeah. wonderful evening out. And uh, yes, it is kind of old school. Yes, it feels like The Sopranos. Hey, it's so that's, great. That's my heritage. Like, I want some spongili and like, like the straw wrapped Chianti bottle. Oh yeah. And they got them dangling from the, yeah. <laughs> the ceiling. And like someone's gonna relight like the candle on our table because it went out halfway through, and like it's just so nice. Yeah, no, that's that's. I just love those places. Like my my parents don't live where I grew up. They li they moved about 20 well, years Patterson ago. Well, Patterson is really different from where you ended Because isn't your family from Patterson? Yeah, I mean, Patterson hailed in, um, yeah. that's, Patterson hailed in North Hill, and that was sort of the trajectory. My mother, my mother grew up in Patterson probably until she was 10, and then she moved to a tiny town next door called Prospect Park, and my dad was in Hailden. His parents were in Patterson, and, um, but, they moved to uh, Wall, New Jersey about ten, 20 years ago, 21 almost, um, you know, down Mount Monmouth County. And I mean, it's still, the thing is you still get that because it's still very, there's a very heavy North Jersey influence there. I think a lot of people just sort of migrated there. You get also, you get the Bennies, the, um, that sort of thing. But they, there are a couple places that I absolutely demand to go to when I'm over there. It's yeah. like, there's one that's called Duomichi. It's um, your total classic red sauce. I mean, it's not a pizza place. It's more of a sit down carpeted. They've got a piano player on Saturday nights and everything like that. And that is like- Because it's classy. Because it's classy. 
It's it's absolute. It's like my absolute favorite place to yeah. eat, you know. And and then the other one, it's a little. Um, it's basically like your typical pizza place that has a dining area in the back called Andy's, and and that place is freaking amazing. They have a very eclectic pasta menu, and I'm like, they could be charging so much more for this, but because they're sure. just so, they're kind of putting themselves out there as a sort of. I mean, they make they probably make their bank just delivering pizzas, so that's right. so they don't need to charge you a lot, but it's like. But I just fucking love that place, yeah. and it's you know these places are all BYO. Well, not not Duamichi. Duamichi has a bar; they have a full bar. But you know most of these pizza type places are always going to be BYO because it's New Jersey and BYO it's stingy. BYO is an amazing the, thing that needs to exist in more places. Uh, my first, uh, my first real restaurant industry job was working um, in a BYO place in Kenilworth, New Jersey, at like a a fairly high end like French bistro like. Entrees were like three bucks, uh, but it was a BYO, and so because it was a nice place, um, people brought really good wine, uh, no corkage fee, obviously. And uh, I'm opening these wines at 17, 18 years old, and there's also that there's like a good two minutes where you're opening someone's wine table yeah. side, where you're gonna, what are you gonna do? Not talk? Yeah. Of course you're gonna <laughs> talk. And so that was how I learned about wine, because I wasn't of even legal drinking age. But I'm opening people's beautiful... So you were, you were allowed to... I guess you weren't, you weren't selling it, so you were allowed to yeah, serve it. So yeah, so you could open it. There was no... As long as you were 16, I think. Oh, I didn't realize fine. it was even that, yeah. So you could open it. Yeah, you weren't selling it, so you could just open people's wine. Um, and it was the best introduction to beverage because I would be opening people's really nice wine and of course people want to talk about it and so I always used it Sorry, I'm not, I won't oh no it's oh, fine <laughs> so I was always using it as an opportunity to just learn because I hi I'm 17 years old so I'm opening someone's wine and they're like oh yeah um this is like a you know I'm looking at the label I'm like hi this is a this seems like a, a really nice vintage burgundy they're like oh yes we were in france and we bought this wine and they can't wait to talk about uh, yeah. it obviously and then because it was usually i mean tables of two would bring three bottles of wine so there was always excess and people would always for the trouble of me pouring it and not making any tips off of that sale they'd say hey have a glass hey try this and that was how I got. And to that is how Kate became an alcoholic. Basically, <laughs> that's how I developed champagne taste on a Miller High Life budget. <laughs> with people being like, well, here, have a glass. We're never going to drink it all. Like, wow. enjoy. Thank you. And that's how I decided that beverages could be wonderful and delicious and have stories behind them and be a part of food and be a part yeah. of experiences. And I was like 18 and couldn't legally drink any of it. But I had already decided that like Bordeaux was the way to go. And so it was all downhill from there because I could never afford that shit. But I knew it was the good stuff. <laughs> no two buck chuck for you. No. I mean, I drank a lot of it, but I knew there was better somewhere out there. But BYO is an amazing concept. I, you know, it's funny because I, um, when I first started at Beverage World, so we're talking 2003, um, 
I remember going to a trade show. It was the NBWA trade show, and they had um, yeah, they had a bunch of brands there, and like I had an interview set up with um, Singha, the Thai beer, mm-hmm. um, and like they're like their main dude. I don't know if he was their head of export or whatever. He was in town from Bangkok, and um, so they set up an interview with him. And I was so fucking naive at that time because I guess, I mean, I had, I had traveled a bit at that point, but I still, I guess I was still very New Jersey minded. And I asked, like one of the questions I asked was, are you doing anything in your marketing? Because they're trying to expand their, their US market and everything. And I was like, are you doing anything in your market to appeal to the BYO occasion, and I'm, <laughs> and he just gave me a blank yeah. look. I'm like, oh no, I guess all right. I didn't, I didn't think anything of it because it's like more pretty much all I knew. Right. You know, there'd be like three restaurants in town that had a liquor license, and everything else was like. Yeah. BYO. Well, and I think the background on that is like liquor licenses in New Jersey are very expensive yeah. uh, for people who are not from there. Like you have to, there's like a quota of those and you either buy a property that already owns a liquor license or you pay through the nose for them. So there are a lot of these restaurants that open as BYOs and like uh, Shea Catherine in Westfield was another like French BYO. And there was this like weird little network of French and Italian bistros doing really, really, really great food. And I think the business model was we're a very small restaurant and you can bring your own alcohol and we're gonna charge a decent amount for the entrees, but you're also gonna get great service and great service of your wine and I miss that now because who doesn't have bottles in their cellar that they're like kind of meaning to drink and it just never seems like the right thing but like BYOs were always that occasion and that's why I served so many great wines like I got to see people's cellar gems that they were like oh well it's my anniversary dinner so I guess that is yeah I mean because like when else are they going to drink they're not really going to have it at home yeah, you feel weird about opening it at home. You, you're you not just going to open it to just sit and drink. You want it with food. Yeah. And so I saw so many great... Oh, my gosh. My, my favorite memory was working New Year's Eve at the BYO. I don't know how that could be anybody's favorite memory, working on New Year's Eve. Well, I saw people bring in 1983 Dom. Oh, wow. And be like, hey sucks that I'm not buying this from you, so you're not making any tip off of this. Have a glass. You're 20 years old. Have a glass of 83 Dom Perignon. I'm like, why not? Happy New Year. Yeah. And that is an amazing occasion to drink those beers, of course. Like, And, and you walk out of that dinner for what? A few hundred bucks? Like, Because all you're paying for is yeah. the food. Um, and you drank like all these great things in your cellar. I guess if there's any uh, take home from this, it's BYO restaurants were the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> no, I learned everything, it's, it's... and 
for consumers are amazing because we all have things in our cellar that we want to drink. Yeah. No, I never even really thought of it from that angle, but you're right because it's like you've got I've got stuff that that's just probably too old to be good anymore that um, I just never I, I like when I'm just lounging in front of the TV, I don't want to really, open it. Yeah. No, I mean I've got like three or four different vintages of like Sam Adams Utopias that's just taken up space because I don't But if you had I mean people would come into the restaurant, especially on like a weird off night, like come on your anniversary when it's a Wednesday night and people would bring cool bottles and know we were slow and we would have the time to just open some fun stuff and always I mean we always brought new glassware. We always like served it right, we chilled things, we were bringing ice buckets and keeping it all very above board. Good? Good. Yeah, good for now. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, we were always keeping it very, like, in service of the things people brought in, but uh, you could come on a Wednesday night and bring six cool bottles from your cellar, and I'm going to give you new glassware for all of it and wow. do it right because that was what that restaurant's business model was built on. And it was like, well, basically you're just drinking through your cellar with some better food. I mean, I guess, you know, there's, there's an argument to make, be made. The longer it takes them to get through that bottle, they're probably going to order more food. And they probably their bill will be a little higher. I mean, it's not like it's not like when you have a bar and people are just going to keep ordering drinks and yeah. they make that kind of money. But, you know, it's like they may have not had not planned to order dessert but they're like i want to stick around a little while so yeah i mean our menu was structured that way like it was definitely uh each person is going to order an appetizer or salad and they're going to order their entree and then probably they're either going to split a dessert or they're going to order one dessert and then they're going to keep drinking then they're going to order another dessert or a cheese plate i mean it was also because the owners were french it was very European in style of like we budgeted almost three hours for every table because we just thought hey people are gonna hang out and they're yeah. gonna order a lot of food and they're gonna linger and drink the wine they brought and, but it's a hard way I think to make money I mean I don't think that place made as much money as it no no because you make all your money in the booze and it's just you make your money on your booth, you make your money like turning tables. Like if we wanted, we could have done three seatings a night, but we only did two ever because the owners were European and committed to everyone eating for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> we had the five to eight, and then we had the eight to 11. But in an American restaurant, you could have flipped those tables three times. Yeah, so that I just, I wish you know, obviously it all goes back to, um, number one, the servers don't make a living wage, so they need the tables to be turned if they want to yeah. survive. And, yeah. um, you know, I wish it were different here, but people have experimented with no tip models. It's worked for some people. It hasn't worked for others. And, you know, I think it's just so ingrained in our culture that, um, and, and, you know, and I've, I've experienced it in Europe where they they almost it's like you get sort of profiled when you are dining in Europe where 
um, like I'll call like uh, you know I travel alone a lot so um, you know I was in Rome and you know nobody in Rome would even think to have dinner before 830 and that's when I wanted to eat, you know, because you know, when in Rome, but you know, <laughs> when anywhere. But yeah, when this was Rome, literally, this was literally when in Rome, and it was like, um, I called to make reservation, and immediately he's like, you know, I'm like, you got you have a table open. You're like, yeah, 7:30, okay. And I'm like, yes. It's like they've got like the American tourist time, and it's like. Oh, we're going to ghettoize you and make you eat at 7.30. You're probably going to be gone by 8.30 anyway. And they're, you know, yeah. it's like, and that kind of bummed me out. I was like, no, I, I wouldn't mind just hanging out for a couple hours. I mean, yeah, maybe I won't be there for three hours because I'm alone. Sure. I'm not really going to have a conversation. There's only so much time I can spend on my phone. But, but two hours you could have spent. Two hours yeah. I could have spent. Yeah, because the wine was super cheap, so I kept ordering wine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I still did spend, I was probably there at least an hour and a half, but... Um, I didn't feel like I was getting the bums rush or anything like that. It's just that, you know, Italian service is not known for being particularly friendly or warm. It's just very serviceable. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, so that, that's the thing. It's like, sometimes I, I just want to do what people do. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't eat at 8.30 normally. I don't eat at 9 o'clock normally, but um, when I'm in that city, I want to do sure. whatever it is that they do, and right. I don't want to be singled out as the annoying tourist because I feel like I've I've evolved beyond that you know and, and they don't know me so it's like what the fuck do they know I'm not right. gonna be like oh don't worry this isn't my first rodeo you know <laughs> when when I worked at BYO in Kenilworth we had uh, we had a lot of like Italian expat customers uh, but not like Italian American but like kind of off the Italians, and they always, I knew, it's not that they had a standing reservation, but I pretty much knew they had a standing reservation on Fridays and Saturdays at like 9 p.m., and they always wanted to sit on the patio so they could chain smoke while eating, and they would be there from 9 till at least midnight. I mean, there was no, it was the patio patio eating culture is not an American thing, but they thought because our owner was French, like, he understood this El Fresco dining cafe thing, which he did. And so they came at nine, and they did not leave till one in the morning. And they chain smoked the entire time and sat outside, and we brought them course after course after course of small things, and wine after wine after wine, and that was that was it, and I, uh, I saw it and I thought, that doesn't seem so bad. That's just one of those many things that I've taken for granted, and when I actually left New Jersey, I was like, you know, because I was in New York a lot, and there weren't too many of them in New York. I remember being to one, like, New York BYO place. There was, uh, I think there was a Sri Lankan place on in the East Village that was BYO, but that was the only place I, could, I ever remember bringing a bottle. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, more often than not, I was eating in New Jersey, Jersey City, Hoboken, and, and you know, you had a lot of BYO, and, um, th there was one place I remember in Hoboken, it was a Mexican place, and their thing was, you bring in the tequila, they'll mix you a margarita, but they charge you, they charge you for the margarita, you're not going to charge you, you're not going to spend $12 on a margarita, I think you're paying like 5 or $6 for them to mix you 
the margarita, but you have but to bring the tequila. But they get all the fixins. Yeah, but the, then you know it's a good margarita because you know the tequila you brought. You mm. know it was fresh. That's I true. Mean, I, yeah. That's all it comes down to is like, how good is your tequila and how fresh are your limes? <laughs> yeah, and you can you'll you spend say you know thirty bucks on that a good decent bottle of tequila and. Um, but everyone's drinking all night from that $30 from that bottle. $30 bottle. Yeah. You may not even finish that bottle, no. depending on how many people are with you. Right. And, you know, you had a few margaritas each, like, would you spend $15 a person right. on multiple margaritas? So, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a good model. I don't think that place lasted, though. But, um, you know, and then there were other places I remember. They would, there'd be, like, a liquor store on the corner or next door. They would run out and buy it for you and that sort yeah. of thing. And I think they probably, I don't remember if they actually charged you for that charge your runner's fee or whatever we did that at the restaurant where i worked is uh i mean it was very seldom but every now and then someone would show up and not have realized that we were byo and we would say oh well the liquor store is literally across the street um and they'd be like well do they have decent Burgundies were like, no, no, they don't. Uh, you're at their mercy now. Um, but because of the small number of people from our restaurant that forgot bottles, they started stocking the tiniest little section of like decent French bottles wow. in a corner. There's a little cross marketing there going and on. And they could mark it up because those people are oh, yeah, desperate. No. Like they did not realize that our restaurant did not have a liquor license so they would say sure of course i'll pay 50 dollars for this bottle that should be a 35 dollar bottle but i mean who cares at that point and half the time it was probably people who didn't even really couldn't even tell the difference between like a $300 $300 bottle of Bordeaux and two buck chuck, they're just being but ostentatious. Think, right, but I think, I mean, I think that convenience store in other times would have only stocked uh, barefoot Chardonnay and uh, White Claw before White Claw existed. White Claw? <laughs> oh my god. I blame your generation for that. They're just. I just want booze that doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I feel like. The, the hard seltzer thing is going to crash and burn probably five years from now. That's my guess. I think I that... No, I mean, I think... Every other, like, F&B, like, there was... There was hard sodas, and those didn't last. No, there was hard seltzer. And... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like things... I mean, I can see it's how cycle. hard seltzer was a natural progression from hard soda because... Um, at least, you know, you got the whole calorie thing. Like, you're going to drink not your dad's root beer, and it's going to be 300 calories for that 12-ounce bottle or whatever it was, 350 calories. Yeah. I mean, it's just sugar and alcohol. Yep. Um, seltzer, I can see that. It's just the alcohol. I mean, you can get away with, you know, 100, 120 calories in that can. And But, but again, let me introduce you to vodka tonics. Yeah. <laughs> but there are so many people for whom the goal is to be in an altered state without any amount of intellectual effort. Yeah. No, I know, and it depends on, um, but see, I don't, I, don't, I don't drink for that purpose anymore. I mean, I used to, you know, went to college and maybe seven or eight years after college, but. But I also 
see it as like almost an efficiency thing. Like I know a lot of um, young moms who drink hard seltzer and their thought is I would like some kind of an altering beverage. Uh, I, would, I would like something alcoholic that is reasonably low in alcohol. Also like low in carbs uh, could set me up to do other things today. I'm not going to like take a nap on the couch. Um, just like a little like midday kind of little thing like a glass of wine used to be for people and I think it's replacing that. That's sad because wine is to be savored and there's no... No, but those were the same people that were buying like gallon jugs of Gallo wine. So it's not like we're talking about like savoring a glass. Oh, these, are, these are the, oh, it's wine o'clock people. But that's a, that's a market. I know it is a market and they have a right to exist. I'm yeah. just saying, I just, I, I, and again, I'm, I, I'm coming off as a snob, I know, but I'm just like, I, I drink for a different reason now. And, of course. And, and, and again, I, I know I live in a bubble because I've been working in this industry. We are very spoiled that when I want just kind of a little daytime drink, the thing in my refrigerator is an incredibly well-made craft Czech Pilsner. That is not the case for everyone else. And when they want a simple midday, don't make me take a nap, beverage but I would like a little thing it's maybe White Claw and who am I to say no of course it has yeah. again it has a right to exist it's doing well it's making people a lot of money yeah. I'm just I just get wary because no, it is not entirely it, flavorful it, it doesn't have I don't think it has the I don't think it's gonna have the longevity of I think what it comes down to is anytime you try to create a new category of beverage, I mean the the old ones are doing just fine on their own, and they're those beverages don't have staying power long term. But the sentiment remains of people who want this. Like I said, the maybe the white claw drinkers would have previously been like Sauvignon Blanc mass market drinkers. Like you want that slight little boost of alcohol in a pretty low-cal package and what is that it's not who you and I are it's not how we drink but yeah we live in a bubble I know. those people exist those people exist no and they are probably and they spend a lot of money. they're the majority of the market I'm <laughs> right, not even yeah. saying I mean we're yeah. we're like probably 10% of the market yeah. I mean not you and I but I mean I mean our no, our sort 100% I'm 10% you're probably 10% of the Missoula market <laughs> Probably. Speaking of which, we are in Montana at the moment, in case anyone knows, like, sort of interviewing you on your turf. This isn't your town, but this is no, your state. My first Phoenix. time in Montana. Great Falls. Yeah. It's cool. It's like they've got the whole thing happening here. You know, and they're keeping it real with the, the buffalo head hanging up there. What's the name of this place? Uh, Elevation 3330. So they're a new craft beer bar uh, on kind of a second floor in downtown Great Oh, is that what the is that the elevation of the city? Is it 33? Yeah. 30? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a little more than half a mile. Uh -huh. So yeah, it's about it's about the elevation, which is on this uh, center pole here. But 
hasn't had a really dedicated craft beer bar other than Steinhouse, which does a really good job representing Montana beers, but I mean, there's one game in town, and now there's a second game in town. And right and there are so many great breweries here in Great Falls that it's good that there's a, a couple of bars to showcase that. Wow, well, this is, I, I love where this conversation went. We talked a lot about BYO and we talked about New Jersey. It became sort of the New Jersey episode by way of Montana. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, see, I told you, I just wanted it to evolve organically. Okay, I, I, I can't promise this was anything worth no, it's 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 awesome because like I I love talking about New Jersey. I never I never loved New Jersey more than after I left. And I don't. Isn't that, that the truth? That sounds that sounds wrong. No, that's it means, exactly like, right. I love it far away. Like no, I, I love it so much that I I question my life choices every day. <laughs> I love it so much I couldn't be near it because it would just be too much. Yes, I can't. Yeah. It's just. Painful, but no. But at least you're still on the East Coast. I mean, no, and I'm there that. every month. It's yeah. like sometimes two or three times a month. So yeah. it's not like I, I'm, I'm there enough to not miss it. So yeah. that's kind of that. That's great. And and now neither one of us lives in New Jersey, and but we both have family there and go back a lot. Yeah. All right. I think we've had a good conversation here. I hope so. I think it's a good place to stop. Anything else going on that you want to either plug or bring up or tell um, me, like, any new discoveries anywhere oh in the world? I mean, I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll plug Montana beer because it's such a geographically large state that I continue to discover new breweries and new places uh, that are by anyone else's measures in the middle of nowhere, but are actually doing amazing things. Um, so I recently got the chance to go to Two Bassett Brewing, brewing outside of uh, White Sulphur Springs, Montana. And the reason I'm gonna shout out White Sulphur Springs is that there is a company there called Red Ants Pants. Red Ants Pants? And they make pants. But they make pants for women. So they make essentially like Carhartt style work pants but that fit women and are proportioned to women. So you give them your measurements you're a 29 by 32 and they make you a set of pants and they are like beautiful canvas, you know, pocketed work pants. And um, they also happen to throw a really bomb music festival every year. Like Red Ants Pants Music Festival is this wonderful like convergence of all these folk bands and roots bands and bluegrass. And yeah, White Sulphur Springs has it going on despite having a population of about a thousand people. But I went to their brewery, I went to Red Ants Pants, I camped outside of White Sulphur Springs, and uh, I would just like to give White Sulphur Springs a little shout out as a cool place. But if you find yourself in that area, you should visit. Do they have actual Sulphur Springs there? Yeah, there's a there is a Hot Springs Resort cool. uh, that you can. It's kind of like a motel mm -hmm. that 
you could actually stay at the motel or you can just buy like a day pass and go soak in the springs that are like pools, like concrete bottom pools, but they're, they're not chlorinated, they're just uh, hot springs water that's like mineral rich and smells very sulfurous, but uh, is great. Like it feels like a mineral bath. It's wonderful. It's a great little, great little experience. I mean, I had been hiking and camping outside of White Sulphur Springs, so going into there and having a little soak and then going to the brewery. It was a heck of a little day. It's good. So I would like to shout out White Sulphur Springs, Montana. Yeah. And this is the first time I've heard of it, so I mean, I've learned something today. It is a very small town, and it's not really near a whole lot, but uh, it's a great little diversion if you're spending a, a week or two out in Montana. Worth doing a drive through for sure. Out of Missoula or out of Bozeman. And plug uh, for all of your places on social media. Yeah, so I'm Kate Bernat. You can find me at Bernat on Twitter, on Instagram. And as always, you can find me in all the usual places at Jeff Cialetti on Twitter, on Instagram, and remember the world is out there, drink it up. The drink of